Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. All right, well, once again, good morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. Man, I feel like we say good morning a lot, but maybe it's just because we need to keep waking up. I, I don't know. But we are glad that you are here. Those of you that are watching online, thanks so much for being with us. I, I just encourage you to be a part, to come in, come hang out with us. We want you here because you're part of the family. How many of you love our online family? Yeah. Amen. Amen. I'd love to see them in person. And as I often say, I'm a little bit jealous of you because you're watching church online this morning in your pajamas with your feet up on the ottoman sitting on the couch. And I'm a little jealous of that, but I'll get over it this morning. All right, how many of you are ready for the Word of God? Amen. Well, I'm excited today. We are in part 18 of a series, a six-month-long series that we're processing through the book of Acts. We're finding out how did the early church respond to the mandate of Jesus to go and make disciples. In other words, to tell everyone everywhere about him, to multiply the kingdom of God. What did they do in order to accomplish that task? And every chapter that we turn to, every step that we take in this journey, we're learning, at least I'm learning, new things that I can uh, put into my life and into my relationship with Christ that will help me to fulfill that calling. I want to challenge you today. Take really good notes. Really buckle in. Maybe you need the paper notes. Maybe you want to go on to our church app and grab the online notes. You go to the YouVersion app, you can grab them there as well. But follow along, take good notes. I was talking to somebody right before service, and they're sitting there, and they're already taking notes. And I'm like, I don't know how you're already taking notes, but they've already gotten like three or four sentences written down on their outline. They were ready to go. So I want to challenge you this morning, dig in deep, but also open up. Open your heart up, because this morning's message, if I'm going to be honest with you, is going to be a little toe-stomping. Okay, are you, are you okay with that? Thank you, I had one, one approval, do I have a second? I have a second, all in favor? Any opposed, don't answer, because it doesn't matter. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest with you anyway, because here's the deal, folks. I've gotta share with you, as your pastor, I've gotta share with you the easy stuff, and I've gotta share with you the difficult stuff, because all of God's word is applicable to our lives. I fear that we have a culture right now that just wants the fluff of the Word of God and not the difficulty of the Word of God. The problem is we're, we're creating the, this false idea of Christianity because we think, well, it's just the fluffy side of things and I can pick and choose what I want. But man, there's so much depth to the Word of God. There's so much that God wants to do in us. There's so much that he wants to pour into our lives so that we can grow and become what he's called us to be. So how do we get there? We open up the windows of our heart and we say, Lord, begin today to fill me up. That's what I want to look at today. It's what does this look like, uh, this relationship with God? What, what, is he, what is he calling us 
2. We're moving into chapter 19, and in chapter 19 of the book of Acts, we find Paul um, on the coast of Ephesus. Now, as he is there, he encounters a group of people. Now, if you remember uh, one of the very early weeks, we just touched on this encounter, but today I want to dissect it just a little bit. As Paul began to speak to these believers, the Bible says they were believers, he could sense that there was something missing in their lives. So he asked them a very basic question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Look at your neighbor this morning and say, did you receive? Come on, if you're watching online, put it in the post right there. Did you receive? What a great question to ask. Because I fear that we have a a group of people in this world, in the big C Christian world, where many people are walking around and they're missing something in their lives. You see, we're trying to meander through life with only holding on to partial of who God really is. We grab a hold of God the Father. We say, well, he is our Lord. He's the creator of the world. He's the one that spoke life into existence. He's the one that knew me by name while I was in my mama's belly. He's the one that knows the number of hairs on my head. For some of you, that's easier than for others. We're real good about connecting with Jesus because he's the one we celebrate at Christmas that came as a baby in a manger. But he's the one that we remember on Easter. As he died on the cross and rose from the grave, but we forget about the Holy Spirit. Church, can I just tell you, you need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. I say it often, you need the Holy Spirit just to go to Walmart. Come on, can I get an amen in the house? Online, say amen. You need, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. And Paul realized that there was something missing in this group of people. As, as they had this encounter, this conversation, he realized right off, they're believers. You can tell the difference between a believer and a non-believer. I mean, that's pretty, pretty quick to grab a hold of that. But he realized in the conversation that something was missing in their lives. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, when you gave your life over to God. Now, we'll discuss this a little bit later this morning. Have you ever met that person that just seemed to be missing something in their lives? Maybe, maybe that's you this morning. You claim to be a follower of Christ, but there's something that's missing deep inside of your life. There's this void in your lives. Jesus was talking to a group of religious Pharisees in his day. Now, if you would ask them if you were righteous, they would say, oh, absolutely, I'm righteous. I keep all of the laws. I'm very particular with what I do. They, they knew what to do. They knew when to do. They knew how to do and what to avoid. They had that all figured out. But there was something missing in their lives. You see, there hadn't been a heart change. Did you know the heart change is vitally important? 
I could go to the doctor and the doctor could put me on that treadmill and I could go through that horrific stress test. I don't know if you've done one, but it's not good. I think eternity in hell is going to be a stress test. They're just going to keep the incline going up and up and up. It's terrible. But I could go through all of that and the doctor could say, wow, you have blockages. There's issues with your heart. But if I walk out the building and go, okay, well, thanks for the information. That's great. That's not going to do me a whole lot of good, is it? See, there's got to be a, a heart change. Ezekiel talks about taking the old, stony, stubborn heart and replacing it with a tender, responsive heart. Spiritually speaking, there are so many people, they understand the wrong, they understand the mistakes, they understand the, the failures in life, they have the condemnation covering them completely, they feel terrible and guilty, but they haven't done anything about it, and there's no heart change. Jesus looks at this group of Pharisees and he says this, what sorrow awaits, come on, look at that, what sorrow awaits, in other words, he's saying there's coming a day when it's, it's going to come to realization that all you've done is play church. All you've done is go through the motions. heart change hasn't occurred he says what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you pharisees hypocrites for you are like whitewashed tombs beautiful on the outside but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity outwardly you look like righteous people but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. For the next few moments today, I want to look at, at two questions to help us realize what's missing. See, there's a couple different levels of where things can be missing. That's what I want to look at today. Number one is this. Are you guilty of seeking religion and bypassing the Savior. See, that's what these religious leaders, these Pharisees, were doing. They were really good about seeking religion. They were really good about dressing the part and, and knowing when to do and when not to do. They had all of that figured out. They were really good at, at seeking religion, but... The problem is they were bypassing the Savior. Let's look what Paul says in Acts chapter 19. While Apollos, do you remember Apollos? We talked about him last week. When Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them, no, they replied, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked, and they replied, the baptism of John. Now hold on to that, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, 
They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other languages and prophesied. So in that moment, in realizing that there was a missing link in their lives, they began to pray and seek after the Holy Spirit. Now remember, they were believers, but something was missing. One commentary that I was reading stated that these were incomplete Christians. Now I had to stop in my office and I struggled with that thought. Incomplete Christians. To me, this term incomplete Christian is, is a contradiction. You, you can't have an incomplete Christian. Either you're saved or you're not saved. Jesus doesn't partially save you. He doesn't put contingency clauses in your salvation. Once you achieve this, then you're saved. No, either you are or you're not. There's no in-between. There's no partial salvation. There's not different levels of this membership, if you would, with God. No, either you're saved or you're not. Jesus doesn't partially save us. It's not a little bit. It's all or nothing. It's hot or cold. Now, this group knew their moral duty to be better. Why? Because they had spoken with John. Potentially, they had spoken with Apollos. They knew that there was error in their life. But 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 states this. By his, by God's divine power, God has given us everything. Come on, say everything. everything. Given us everything we need for living a godly lives. Now, these are believers. They're, they're completely saved. In my opinion, I believe they had a relationship with God. Right? So they had at their disposal what was available to them, everything they needed for living a godly life. The moment you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you begin this brand new journey with him. Now, I will say that I think there are so many in our culture today that are guilty of just chasing religion. They're missing the Savior. They'll find themselves living on the shirt tail of a family member or a family tradition. You ask them, do you have a relationship with Christ? And they'll say, well, I'm Baptist, I'm Lutheran, I'm Methodist, I'm Assemblies of God, I'm whatever. But realistically, they haven't darkened the doors of a church for years. They're just playing a part, playing a role. Because we're in this Christian nation, right? Therefore, everybody's got to be saved, right? 40% of this community claims no connection with God whatsoever. 61% of Warrensburg community claims no affiliation with God whatsoever. We have this mindset that, man, we're in the Bible Belt. Everybody knows about Christ. Everybody knows what Jesus did. Can I just tell you, that's not the case. You've got those that have no relationship and know nothing about Christ. You've got those that are sold out on fire, ready to follow after Jesus with everything that's in them over here. And then you have this mixture in the middle that are just playing the games. Just going through the motions. Just playing a part. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23 are some of the most the saddest scriptures in the Bible. And it says this, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Come on, look at that. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those, say only those. Only those who actually do the will of the Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many lives, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Man, that's hard, isn't it? But God, I changed diapers in the nursery. That's got to be worth something. Lord, I greeted every Sunday morning. I, I, I sang on the worship team every week, and he'll look at you and say, but I don't know who you are. We're just playing the game. You were chasing religion. You were going through the motions. Depart from me. I don't know who you are. This scripture is so difficult because we want to put God into this mold where we can say, well, everybody is good. But truth be told, none of us are good. We're flawed at best. We make mistakes. We want to say, well, everybody goes to heaven because a loving God would never send anybody to hell. A loving God sent his one and only son. To make a way for you. To do the hard. To do the difficult. To make it so much easier for you, the one, the lost one. The one that in your own attempt could never be good. Several weeks ago, Pastor Joe sent me this social media post. And the more I read it, the more that it bothered me. And it simply said this, the gospel sounds very strange to a generation that has been told they are perfect. That loving themselves is virtuous, that their heart is always right, and that nothing is more important than being happy. Isn't that what we're being fed 24-7? Truth be told, isn't that what many are teaching our next generation? Oh, you're fine. Just, you're perfect just as you are. That, that loving yourself, that's the most important thing you need to do. Just love yourself. It's all about you, that your heart is always just go with your heart. Go with your heart. It's going to be good. And there's nothing 
more important than being happy, whatever it takes. Let me, let me break this apart just a little bit, section by section. Listen carefully. Church, you are not perfect. I hate to be the one to break it to you. Look at your neighbor this morning. Say you're not perfect. Look at, look at the person on the other side and say, I thought I was. Those of you online, write in the text there, I'm not perfect. Because here's the deal, folks. Every one of us messes up. You are in a crowd of misfits today. Oh, boy, we don't want to say that, do we? We don't want to accept that some of you were just like, oh, pastor just called me a misfit because we mess up. And by the way, I didn't just call you a misfit. I said we. That includes me. We all mess up. We're not perfect. Therefore, we are in need of a Savior. You are flawed. I am flawed. That's why Jesus came to pay a price to do what we could not do on our own. I can't follow enough rules enough because if I fail once, I failed all enough. People say, well, as long as I can be pretty good, I'll be fine. That's like saying, I'm going to go to the Grand Canyon. I'm going to run as hard as I can. As long as I can jump pretty good, I can get all the way across. I've watched enough fail videos on Instagram to know that's not a good idea. I was watching this one the other day, and this guy thought it was a great idea just to, like, jump from a building onto this railing, off the railing, onto another railing, off the railing, on the ground. And he didn't do so well. And I said, when did he think that was a good idea? But isn't that what we do in life? Oh, not as many responses there. Isn't that what we do? We, we jump and go, I'm going to go for it. Because we're not perfect. Romans chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? In other words, for us, can we say, could we say that we Christians are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, all people, all people, whether Jew or Gentile, are under the power of sin. In other words, we tilt toward messing up. The Bible says in the book of James that there's this battle raging on the inside of us between what wants to do right and what wants to do evil. See, there's the problem. He goes on to say this, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. But yet we've told a generation and we've convinced ourselves that, that we're perfect. And church, I'm here to tell you, I'm here to burst your bubble today. That by ourselves we're not. We need Jesus. The second point that the, that the post made was this. Loving yourself isn't vir or is virtuous. And it's not. Loving yourself isn't virtuous. Loving God and loving others. That's the key. Jesus said that the greatest thing that we can do is love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of who we are. But he goes on to say, and the second command is just as important, it's equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, love is not an emotion, love is an action. 
It's something we've got to learn to give away. It's not let me love myself, it's all about me, but let me love you. Let me do what I can to go beyond everything in my ability to show you love. Let me do what I can to reach out to you. Oh, you're stumbling, you're hurting, let me pick you up. Let me help you, let me encourage you, let me show you the love of God. See, Jesus said that we're to go and share that good news. That's, that's part of sharing that good news. We're demonstrating who God is to a non-perfect, broken, messed up world. Man, what a great opportunity that is for us. Love isn't for us to hoard for ourselves. It's for us to give away. Why? Because God, by definition, is love. And if God is love and he is in us and we want him to fill us over and over, then at some point we're going to have to give some of that away. Come on. Let's look at this next one. Your heart, you ready for this? Your heart is not always right. <laughs> right? Your heart is not always right. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew 15, but the words you speak come from the heart, and that's what defiles you. So if your heart is right, then what you speak from the heart should be that which promotes you and encourages you and helps you, right? So this clearly tells me there's some junk going on in our hearts. There's some issues going on in our heart. That's why we need this heart change. That's why we need a spiritual transplant inside of who we are. Our heart's not always right. By nature, we're sinful. People ask me all the time, and I've shared this before, well, Pastor, how do I know which side's going to win out then? Is it going to be the side that wants to do right or the side that wants to do wrong? The answer is very simple. Whatever side you feed. Survival of the fittest. Whatever side you feed, that's what's going to win out. And the last point was this. Happiness is not the most important thing. Man, that's very counter our culture. Culture says, man, you deserve a break. You need it your way. You deserve it. Have it the way you want it. Whatever it takes, just be happy. The problem is happiness is based upon everything working out just right. And we had one of those days this week. One issue after another. One day, one day. One issue after another, one struggle after another. Every person in our family was facing some struggle, some problem. I'm like, enough's enough. Man, if I would have based my life on happiness, I don't know in that moment if I would have survived. Because things weren't going the right direction. The most important thing, the only thing that will outlast your life here on earth is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the most important. This idea of chasing religion, this idea of simply playing games, it will not last. It may look pretty on the outside. It may dress up real well. 
but on the inside it's tarnished. The structure is cracked. Devastation is in the future. See, if all we do is chase religion and we bypass the Savior, then here is what we're destined for. We're destined to simply hear, depart from me. I never knew you. Can I challenge you today? Stop chasing religion. Stop just playing the games. You need the Savior. I need the Savior. Because we can't do this by ourselves. The second question that I came up with is this. Are you satisfied with religion? Are you ignoring the Spirit? Are you satisfied with just religion? Are you ignoring the Spirit? Some believe that these 12, these Followers, believers, if you would, were disciples of John the Baptist or even Apollos. Now, if you remember, Apollos was the one that was teaching the way of John the Baptist. So basically, if they were a disciple of Apollos, they were, in essence, a disciple of John the Baptist. Now, why is this important? Because it meant that these 12 were satisfied with the chase. They were satisfied with the recognition of their sin, but they missed the real connection of the spirits. See, John's baptism was was a message of threats. Oh, it was a vitally important message, but it was no less a message of threat. It was get your life right or face the consequences. I mean, he was declaring, repent! For the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, if you don't get right, you're going to get left. That's the message. That's what he was sharing. That's what this crew understood. So in that moment of of fear of if I don't get my life right, I'm going to get left, they made a decision to be a follower, to believe. Again, this message, it set the way, it paved the path for Jesus. And the message that Jesus brought, brought an opportunity for a life full of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Yes, these people, they professed to be Christians. They had the evidence of a life, partial life change. But something was missing. Paul asked the very direct question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He noticed that something was missing. Now don't get me wrong, the message that John preached was important. It paved the way. It laid the groundwork. But all it did was bring him to this place of sensing an inadequacy and a need of forgiveness. Yeah, we understand that in and through the price that Jesus paid, that condemnation is taken away. Romans chapter 8 says there is now no condemnation to those that believe. Forgiveness has been set in. The chase is over. The relationship 
has begun. Hope has been restored. Now, here's the next step. You and I, now that we make this commitment to Christ, we are in need of the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was so crucial that Jesus told the 120, he said, go and wait in the upper room. Don't leave Jerusalem until you receive. Well, pastor, you've already told us that before. I'm telling you again because it's important. We need to learn this. We need to let it sink in. We need to let it be part of our lives. We need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 says this, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father, God, sends you the gift that's the Holy Spirit that he promised. As I told you before, John baptized in water, but in a few days you will be baptized in what? The Holy Spirit. Now let me backtrack six months just for a moment, just to remind you of some things. There are two experiences with the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us when we receive Jesus. Okay, grab a hold of that. That's important. The Holy Spirit takes root in our lives when we receive Jesus. In other words, when we give our lives to him, when we become saved, if you would. That's the moment the Holy Spirit takes residence in us. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He will lead us. He will guide us. But there's a second step with the Holy Spirit. That's the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now you notice John didn't say He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit? In other words, did the Holy Spirit baptize you? So after they had this conversation, he laid his hands on them. They prayed. They received the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says they began to speak in an unknown language, one that they were not familiar with. This is our second experience. The first, the Holy Spirit comes in to live in us when we receive Jesus. The baptism of the Holy Spirit follows salvation two separate accounts two accounts the holy spirit's filling our lives with the power to fulfill god's mission that's acts 1 8 you'll receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you why to be witnesses for him he tells us the baptism of the holy spirit is a distinct empowering gift To help you and I, the believer, to live a holy life, to be empowered to share that good news of Christ. In other words, to multiply for his kingdom. Here's what I understand. Both of these accounts are vitally important. Come on, look at that. You must have salvation. There is no other way to the Father, to heaven, except through Jesus, right? Jesus is the only way. That's the first account. That's a vitally important account. We need that moment of salvation. The second is also important. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need the wisdom, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the power that comes from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Christians that Paul was addressing had not been filled because they had not heard of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul lays his hand upon them and they were filled. So I want to give you the results. The result of a life that is not chasing religion. The life that is not bypassing the Savior. The life that is not ignoring the spirits, but embracing all of who God is. Here's the result. It's a life with the Spirit results in a victorious life. Now, let me be real quick, real clear, real quick. When I say that the life that's filled with the Spirit will be victorious, I am not saying that your life is going to be easy. Okay, listen carefully. I'm not saying it's going to be an easy road because sometimes life just stinks. Right? Come on, anybody's life ever stink? Man, the rest of you are perfect. That's awesome. You guys are amazing. No, sometimes life is rough. Sometimes life throws us curveballs. Sometimes those lights come on in our car that shouldn't be there. Sometimes we get the phone calls that we don't want to get. But I'm saying that with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, will experience a newfound boldness that you never had before. A greater power, a greater anointing. It's theologian Warren Wearsby that once said this, it's not enough for us to have the Spirit. The Spirit must have us. It's not enough for us to have the Spirit. The Spirit must have us. We must allow the Holy Spirit to consume every portion of our lives. Just as we are to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, we are to give all that we are over to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Pastor, does that mean that suddenly I become some sort of robot and I do, no, 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 no. You still have free will. You still get to choose your life what you do. But now you have the voice of the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you. Your desire is to follow His lead. Your desire is for His heart to be your heart, His direction to be your direction, His passion to be your passion. What breaks His heart breaks your heart. Suddenly you see through His eyes, not your eyes any longer. Suddenly you love as He loves, not as you once loved. Suddenly you respond as He responds, not as you used to respond. Why? Because you're allowing the Holy Spirit to take the lead. John chapter 7 says, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the Spirit declares, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone, say everyone, believing in him. Now, a few moments ago, I said that what comes out of your heart, that's what defiles you. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, He begins to do a work on the inside so that what comes out of you is no longer you, but a change, a life that resembles that of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life 
church, I want to challenge you today. Stop chasing religion. Don't get comfortable in just the routine. It's time to embrace the walk with Jesus. It's time to pursue the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the first three messages of this series. Go back and read the book of Acts, Corinthians. Let this idea of baptism, let it resonate in your heart. I believe that as you pursue the Spirit, I believe that as you connect with the Holy Spirit, I believe you're going to see a change that you never experienced before. Now's the time to stop chasing religion. Now's the time to stop bypassing Satan. Now's the time to embrace all that God has for you. Would you pray with me today? Thank you again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life. 